Good morning again, everyone. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Lee. I have the privilege of pastoring this church, uh, which makes me the most blessed man in the world, if you ask me. So I appreciate you all being here. It is such a privilege to do what I do. Thank you all. Our passage today is 1 Samuel chapter 29. 1 Samuel chapter 29, where we read, Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years, and since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day? But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David, of whom they sang to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest, and to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now, and go peaceably, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, but what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of your lord who came with you, and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God. I thank you for another opportunity to come together as a family, to hear your word preached, Lord, to hear you speak, God, through your word. And I pray you would do just that, Lord. I pray that your spirit would work mightily through Pastor Dave today, that we would hear the very words of God, Lord, that they would take root deep in our hearts, that we would know you more, God, that your word would guide us more. Lord, do a mighty work. You are, as we sang, you are our way maker, God. You are the one who is always with us, Lord. So be with us now as we hear you speak, Lord, and help us to be what you call us to be. Help us to love you. Help us to love our Lord Jesus Christ evermore. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Amen. At this time, call up one of our elders. Brother Dave Howard. All right, good morning. Okay. So let me get my act together here. So yes, we are uh, continuing with Samuel. And um, let's see how you guys look today. All right, good. <laughs> I'd like to start from a law enforcement perspective, if I can. So, you know, 
law enforcement has many tools that they use, right, um, to get the bad guy. Um, and one of the tools that they use is undercover agents, guys that work plain clothes, people that work in a undercover capacity. We, we see that all the time, federal agents, local, buy and bust. Um, you see movies portray this, right? And what, what's the purpose of the undercover is the undercover basically goes to infiltrate an organization, goes to be accepted as a bad guy or as a guy that is like the ones doing the crime so that they could get information, so that they can get evidence, so that they could bring this crime to a close, that they could end the crime. That's what the purpose is. And we've seen this in movies. We see this portrayed, I'll throw a few movies out there you probably have known. Um, Donnie Brasco, these are based on true stories that have happened. Um, infiltration into the mob. Um, the Departed, that's one of the recent ones with a, a Boston organized crime. And for you guys that want to stay more in fiction, uh, we got Miss Congeniality, just in case I, I thought I was being too real about this. Um, but the undercover is faced with challenges. You know, there's, there's, there's many issues with it, but there's two real main issues with it. The first one is not being discovered. They, they have had undercover operations where it's revealed that, well, that's not who we thought he was. And that usually doesn't end well, right? Not being discovered is a huge one. The second one is a little more nuanced, though. The second one is that the undercover gets so lost in their character that they can't see the purpose of why they're doing this anymore. They, they have lost what the purpose was for them going undercover for. And they have taken on a persona, a character that now is no longer seen to be the person they were. So these, these are real issues. And I, I want to say that all of this kind of comes to a point. And we actually see this come to a point in the movies. We see that there's a convergence that happens. At some key point in any of these stories, and if you even read real stories that have happened, at some key point, there's a convergence between who they are, who they're purporting to be, who they were, and who they think they are now. You have all of these paths coming together. And we're going to see that drawn out in, in today's text um, with David in between these situations, but we're going to see this saving hand of God kind of work things out, which is a great way to see things end. Um, now, just a quick, where's David at, right? Because so long, for so long, we've, we've seen him kind of dodging Saul, dodging Saul, dodging Saul. It's been for a while. But that's not been the case. David has sought refuge somewhere, and it's not been temporary, right? David has been in enemy territory, you know. He's been there long enough to know where the dry cleaners are, you know what I mean? He's been there long enough to know where the 7-Eleven is. He's, he's been in enemy territory living for about 16 months. 
under the permission of King, uh, uh, King Achish, right, of Gath. And, and basically, David is living almost like a vassal. The king allows you to have a fixed property piece of land, and you and your men can stay there as long as there is fealty and homage and dedication to the king. And David has provided that dedication to the king by bringing him the spoils of raids, right? We, we know that, I'm just giving you a quick review, right? He has been raiding what the king thinks are Israel's interests. Turns out he's been raiding Israel's enemies. But in those raids, he's bringing a lot of loot, a lot of booty, what they say, and he's bringing sheep and goats, and he's bringing this to the forefront, to the king. And it's giving the king an impression that this is quite a, quite a, quite a dude I have here. So as we look at today's text, we're going to go right to 28, because 28 tells us something very significant. War is on the horizon. War is coming. The Philistines are now mounting for war. They are getting ready. And we get a picture of this because they name it in the thousands. This would be a modern-day army's battalion. There are thousands mounting up for battle. And in the rear are Achish and the 600 men that David has been moving with, his posse, 600 guys strong. So when we get to verse 3, we see something. We see that the Philistine lords notice these Hebrews, and they ask the question, what are these Hebrews doing here? And I want to look at that question for a second because there's a lot in that question. What is in that question? What are these Hebrews doing here? It wasn't derogatory. It was common for that, that time to use that language. But what does that mean when he says, what are these Hebrews doing here? He's saying that there's someone here in this group that shouldn't really be here. I know that sounds obvious, but, but let's look deeper. You guys don't do the things we do. You guys are a separate people. That's what he means by Hebrew. What are these Hebrews doing here? They're not part of these things. It's almost like, you know, when, when somebody knows that you're a Christian, pick a place, your family or your workplace, and they basically look at you and they're like, you know, I've had it at work where people will say, hey man, you, you don't want to go in there. You don't want to hear what conversation's taking place in there. And in a sense, what they're doing is they're protecting you. They're saying, I know you're a Christian, and Christians shouldn't be looking at this. And in a sense, they, 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 they know that Christianity should be different. It should be separate. And, I, and I'm talking now, I'm talking presently in our postmodern, progressive, emerging age, where we sometimes don't even have a definition for Christianity anymore. Though, even with that, people recognize that Christians should be different. And there are those who, as much as they might want to fight you, they're like, yeah, man, I, I, you shouldn't see these things. You shouldn't hear these things. You shouldn't be around these things. And, and it's, it's always amazing when I see that because you say, well, that's a non-Christian kind of trying to protect me. 
And, you know, the, the shame is that we have Christians who don't feel the same way. But amongst their other concerns, and I'm talking about the, the Philistine lords, is that they're thinking, hey, you know, back in chapter 14, when Saul was hot, when Saul was listening to the Lord and the Lord was giving him victory over the Philistines, it says that the Hebrews defected from the Philistine army. There were Hebrews within the Philistine army and they defected. So these leaders are probably thinking, we're not gonna have all these guys here purporting to act like they're working on our behalf and they're not really working on our behalf. They might defect right at the time we need them. But Achish says, you know what? I... Guys, let me, let me convince you. This is David. It said, like you should know, is this not David? We're going to see that statement again. Is this not, there's a, he has like a romanticized view of this. I have working for me in my midst one of the captains, one of the main guys in the other guy's army, in Saul's army. And man, he's working for me. He's doing such a great job. There is no way that I could see him not doing what we need him to do. But the commanders are commanders. <laughs> and what do they answer him? It says this, it says, but the commanders of the Philistines were angry. Some Bibles say enraged, some versions. It says, they're probably thinking, are you smoking something? And they basically say the same thing. Before they say it, they say, listen, just send this guy back so he could return to the place that you've given him. And you probably say, well, whoa, isn't this King Achish? But you've got to realize something. These are governors of their own cities. These people have sway. They, remember, there's Ekron and Gaza and Ashdod, Ascalon. They, they're running things in their own towns. And basically, together, they put the kibosh, if you would, on what Achish wants to do. And now they tell him the why. And they say, he shall not go down with us to battle, lest, the battle become an ad lest he become an adversary to us. They're just thinking tactically. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to the Lord except turn in the middle of battle and start cutting off our heads? What is that a reference to? He's like, the, dude, don't you remember Goliath? And then he goes back to this song, the song that we've seen three times in Scripture up to now. And they ask him, don't you remember the song? You remember the melody, right? You remember when the beat dropped, right? You, you, you remember that part, right? Right, what is the song? David has struck down his thousands, David his ten thousands. They remind him of this song, and basically they're saying, hey man, have, have you ever looked at the lyrics? They're talking about us. David was killing us when that song came out. He was killing us when they were dancing. And he's trying to make a reason for this. The, the lords, to Achish. They're basically saying, these are not fools. They were like, this is a battle-hardened guy. And if this guy turns, us up, turns on us on the battlefield, it's not going to be good. And they know that behind the song, 
is the victories of David, the many victories of David. And they know, if we go back to the beginning, behind the victories of David is Yahweh, his God. They are very aware. Remember, the battle was not the, to the person. The battle defended the God. And here, the, the lords of Philistines are saying, hey, man, you, you ain't thinking this thing through. So when we go to verse 6, we see something. And Achish realizes that the kibosh, he's been vetoed. <laughs> and he goes to David in a very apologetic way. And, you know, Pastor Lee mentioned this last week. You see no speak of God at all in this chapter, except from the mouth of Achish. Achish, a pagan lord, is looking at David and saying, as the Lord lives, he's speaking language that David would understand. And he's saying, as the Lord lives, you've been honest with me, man. You, you, I think you should be going. Turns out you're not going to go. Uh, I have found nothing wrong in you to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back, go peacefully, and uh, let's not displease these other guys. Because you were cool with me. It's the other guys. And listen to what he says. David answers, and he answers the same way he dealt with Saul. He said, but what have I done? And you almost get the feeling, I'm thinking, listen, Dave, David, you were between a rock and a hard place now, right? You were going to ask to go to battle, and you were going to have to choose on that battlefield a major decision. And now the lords of the Philistines have kind of given you a get-out-of-jail-free card, and now you're asking, but why not? And I looked at this, and I'm like, it, it, it's, it's kind of confounding because you're saying, well, what, what is going on with David? Is this some kind of ruse? Is it a ploy? The text doesn't tell us that. It doesn't tell us that at all. David has been a year and four months in pagan country. And most of the time when we look at Israel, what does Israel do when they are in pagan nations? They adopt pagan ways. So we don't know what's really happening here. The text doesn't give us, well, David thought. Well, what's the insight? We don't have any of that. But look what it says. <clears throat> David is looking at this, and what, you're looking at David, and you're saying, this is this convergence, the convergence I talked about. Because you're seeing these three things happening. You're seeing how the Philistine lords see David. You don't belong here. You are one of those. You are one of the chosen. You have no business here. And we see Achish, how he sees David. Oh, David is one of us. He's just like me. You see these perspectives on how Christians may be viewed. And now we look at David, who David is insisting, hey, man, guys, why can't I go? And you're saying, is this this convergence of who David was when he fought Goliath and who he is now. Let me remind you of something. In chapter 26, verse 23, this is David speaking. He says, the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. 
For the Lord gave you into my hand. Today, he's speaking of Saul. Remember, he grabbed Saul's spear. God had him walk in between 3,000 men. And right in the center, he grabs his spear. He comes out and he holds it up and he says, take a look at this. This is what God has done. God has rewarded the righteous. He has rewarded the faithful. Three verses later, here's David again. Then David said in his heart, now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me to do than escape to the land of the Philistines. And you say, what happened? What changed? And I, I, I think it's important to look at this really carefully because I think we all share this space. We all at one point probably waved the banner that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus saves. And yet we all have probably had points in our lives where we were shy and quiet about the glory of God, quiet about who he was, quiet about who he is. We've all, I was there last time and now I'm over here. And it's a really hard thing. You know, the, the scripture is beautiful because we look at David and we know, listen, David the king, David the, li the lineage of Christ, David the type of Christ. And we look at that and now we see David in these, in these positions. I'm like, David is ordinary like me. And it, he's showing the things that I look at this and I'm like, I've done that once, twice, three times. I mean, do they protect me in my family? Do they say, no, you don't want to hear this? Do they know that I'm a Christian in such a way that they say, no, you are one of those Hebrew types. You don't belong in this midst. You're making us uncomfortable. Or do they treat me like Achish and say, come on down. We know you like this. Come on, man. You're part of the same crowd. Come on, we've laughed at the same things, tipped back the same bottles. You can get down with us. There is absolutely no difference. I see no difference from me to you, Dave. I see no difference. And we face these things, and we're left with a lot of questions. We're left with questions about David, and we're left with questions about ourselves. There's hope. There's hope. Let's look what the hope is. You know, we, we're looking at this situation. You know, they, <clears throat> they call a situation the two horns of dilemma. Have you ever heard of that? <clears throat> the two horns. And David had two horns, right? What were the horns? <clears throat> he had to either forsake the king Achish who has provided shelter for him and his 600 men and their families. He was in a position where he will have to do that on the battlefield. Or he will have to forsake the people of God. He will have to forsake the anointed one of God, King Saul. He would be forsaking God himself on the calling and the anointing on his own life. But God, by his grace, said, you don't have to choose either of those horns. 
You don't have to be gorged by either of those horns. The divine, the divine hand of God interfered. Thank the Lord. And David would be saved through the rejection of the Philistines for him. No, you can't be here. You can't play with us. You can't be part of this condition. Proverbs 21.1 says this, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. David did not have to make the decision to fight against his people, to fight against King Achish. That wasn't an option because the providence of God said so. The providence of God is his sovereignty over all things. And we think that the, we say, oh, yes, the providence of God, right? The Achish commanders looked and they said, oh, there's David in the background with all these people. He shouldn't be here. And we say, oh, God's providence kicked in. It kicked in when they laid off 20 people in my job and I got to stay. It kicked in when I was running to the meter because I thought I was going to get a summons and somebody was arguing with the meter maid. God's providence kicked in. Right? But I'm going to tell you something. God's providence kicked in when you woke up this morning. It didn't wait for the situation. It was already there when you went to bed last night. It did not wait for a situation where he could say, I am here. I am here already is the providence of God. It is here already. He takes care and he protects those he loves. Psalm 512 says this, for you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as a shield. You cover him. And we think that God has to act based on situations. And I'm going to tell you, heck no. He's acting right now. He's acting right now as you hear the living word of God. He acts. He acts when you are in the midst of other Christians speaking of his goodness. He acts when you proclaim his name. He is there. The providence of God is present. And let me define that. We're going to look right. I'll let scripture define the providence of God. If we go back to chapter 16, verse 2. This is right when David was going to be. Samuel was like, hey, man, I need you to anoint the next king. And look at, look at the wording here. Look at, I, I want us to be encouraged. Look at the wording. It says, verse 2. This is Samuel, this is God telling Samuel, says, go to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king amongst his sons. God is saying that, you know what? I know, David's eventual king of Israel. God is saying, I have picked someone for me. Do you understand the weight of that? He's saying that I have done something that is going to affect me. Yes, you will benefit. But it is for my glory that I'm picking David, not for yours. We're on the ride-along program. You know what I mean? We look at God's glory and we're like, let me get some, Lord. Let me, let me be part of what you're doing. But he does things for his own glory. And he picks David for his own glory. And look what it says. Look, verse 7. Everybody knows this, right? And they often 
piece it. They say a man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. But what, what does the beginning of the verse say in that same chapter? It says, for the Lord sees not as man sees. The Lord, in his sovereignty, in his providence, does for him, and we cannot see it. And know that his doing for him brings blessing to us. It absolutely does. Let's go on. Let, let, let's, let's see what else providence does. Ephesians 1.11 says this, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It's according to his counsel and his will. I'll take you now, lastly, to chapter 27, verse 11. You remember this. Keep this in mind when we consider the providence of God. It says this. Remember, David was doing these raids on the enemies of Israel. And when we get to verse 11, it says this. And David would leave neither man or woman alive and bring news to Gath, thinking lest that anybody, any survivors should tell what has happened here. And look what it says. It says, and such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. David had a routine. This is what we do. I'm staying here now. Saul's not pursuing me anymore. I'm just taking names. I'm making lists. I'm hanging skins on the, on the mantle. But God in his providence, what does he do? He puts David in a situation that now you have to make a decision. And when we read the end of our text, we know that David listens to Achish. He listens to Achish. And the text ends with David basically taking a 50-mile journey back to Ziklag. I will listen, and I will go. But we know when we look at the next chapter, David is in dire straits. And it says that David has to get his comfort from the Lord. Here is the news for the providence of God. God, if you are his chosen, will drive you to him. He's not going to let you sit around idle. He's not going to watch you while you're just kind of doing this. He will drive you to himself because that is his purpose. And he will see his own glory fulfilled in what he has set out to do. And I want you to grab that with encouragement. And I'm not taking away our responsibility. In no way is that the language. But the language is that God is supreme. And when we see things happen, he ain't surprised. And if it went the other way, guess what? God is still supreme. God is still providence. He is still moving and changing and think, making pieces work for his glory. And we are the beneficiaries of it. We benefit from that. So in this simple story that looked like, you know, if this was a serial saga, we'd be like, oh, what's going to happen? Is he going to choose this? Or is he going to, you know? God steps in and says, no, I have another choice you didn't even consider. 
you did not consider because that is the providence of God. And it works in our favor. And I encourage you today, I, there's two things I want to leave you with. God is going to shake you up. Because if he has chosen you and he has called you according to his plan, then there is a purpose. And I'm not saying you got to move to India tomorrow and help in the missionary work. I'm saying there is a purpose to the call. And if you feel like you're just coming to church and you're just still and you're just doing your thing, oh, glory to God, he's going to stir you. And it's going to come out in any number of ways, but he's going to stir you up to fulfill his own purpose, to fulfill his own glory. And if you may be feeling that stir now, and I'm, I'm praise God that you are. It, is un, it can be uncomfortable, maybe it's comfortable. There's another side to that coin. I don't feel no stir at all. I I've been doing this for years. I'm stir-free, stir-less. I ain't got a stir in me. Then maybe God has not called you. Maybe you are not following the master. Maybe you are like the disciples, or not like the disciples, where they put down their nets and followed him. Maybe you just come to church. You could do that. It's like I go to ShopRite. You could do that. And I'm not saying that as a point of discouragement. You are in the right place if you have not been found by God. You are in the right place. This is the place to say, Search yourself to see if you are in the faith. This is the place to do that. This is the place to do that. So this serves as an encouragement either way. As we look forward, we look forward that God in his providence has a plan and a purpose that fulfills his own glory. And it doesn't leave anybody behind because you know what the Bible says? Who soever will. If you want to, if you want him, he will in no wise cast you out. And I ask that you would take that now because we are going to go to the Lord's table. And, you know, sometimes it isn't until we reach the Lord's table that we ponder his sacrifice and we ponder his sacrifice in light of what we have done with the calling of God. That is not guilt-ridden. That is respecting what the master has done. So I want you to take that with you as you look at the elements, as we, as we ready to consume the new covenant that God has given us. I want you to consider where you are. Don't be afraid to do that self-review. You're in church. This is where you do it. This is where you do it. And this is where you will be taught. Pray with me together. Father, uh, we bless your name. We thank you for the relief. We are relieved that your providence that has called us from out of darkness into light will see us through. Will see us through this life and in the next. 
that the mark that you have left on us by your Holy Spirit, Father, that you will defend and protect, that you will cast favor upon us. And some of these situations are not ideal. But there is no question that in your sovereignty you rule by both your wisdom and your love. We submit ourselves to you, Lord. Search our hearts. Father, in the psalm, David says, don't let me do wrong. Give me your word. Don't let me do wrong, Lord. Just give me your word. Let that word work in us, Lord. If we don't desire it, cause us to desire it, Lord. Help us to come to know what the will of God is for us through your providence. We thank you for your glory, Lord. We thank you for your will. May we align ours to yours. Be with each of us as we figure these things out, as we walk through. And may we rejoice at what you have already accomplished. We praise you. It is to your glory that we bow our hearts, bow every heart to your glory, to your goodness, to your grace, to your mercy, to that which remains undeserved in the heart of every man is a grace that fills every heart to the utmost. May your word continue to be true in our lives, Lord. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm gonna